Hello and welcome to the Codex Prime Podcast. We are on episode 292, and it is Tuesday, July 19th, 2022. I am your host, Victor Amoyo, and with me as always is my co-host and social media chair, Carl Bird. What's happening, everybody? That's right, and joining us live in the Codex Prime Zoom studios, we have two very special guests. First, returning to the show, our friend, dear friend of the show, your boy Ed, Ed Figueroa of Gamerdelphia and the Party Nerds. Welcome back, sir. What's up, everybody? Your boy Ed is in the house. How's everybody doing? Very, very good. Yeah, man. And also, we have <laughs> a, a very, very, very special guest. It's so funny. I was at work this morning watching G4 and just happened to see him on my screen. <laughs> this man is an author of the of um, the Minds Behind the Games video uh book series all right here we go i got my copy in and so far it's so hard for me to put it down um he's a voice actor of the upcoming wrestle quest wrestling based rpg game and he is accomplished in so many levels give it up for mr patrick hickey jr what's up guys happy to be here oh yes <laughs> <laughs> gotta love randy <laughs> Yeah, even non fan, even non wrestling fans like appreciate Randy. Absolutely. I mean, if you don't like Randy Savage and you've never had a Slim Jim, you have to like check your pulse. I mean, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, so uh, before we start, we do gotta give a uh, big shout out to our sponsors. Uh, first up is uh, Silk City Hot Sauce, a Vermont-based uh, company that has. So many delectable flavors. This is usually where Vic shines and he says something so outlandish. <laughs> but they have all types of flavors from uh, erotic fever, mango madness, um, their hot maple, their spicy maple syrup that I used the other day on a oh, on a breakfast sandwich. It was amazing. Oh my yeah. god, it was amazing. Oh, yeah. um, Bob Lee's. Uh, what was it? Bob Lee's. I don't know. It's Ass-looking blue cheese sauce. Ass-looking blue cheese sauce, which is really good. <laughs> but yeah, you can just go to SilkCityHotSauce.com, use the promo code CODEX to get 15% off. And then also, dear friend of the show, Afton Ward, you can go to www.InfamousCustoms.com to get your free CODEX Prime merch. They have DJ Mr. Bird CODEX Prime and also Victor Vader as well. And then she can customize anything you need. So like I said, just go to just go to FMSCustoms.com and she'll hook you up. So, fellas, I have no notes because I already know we are all huge wrestling fans. We are all huge gamers. So I already know for a fact that this is just going to go off the rails. <laughs> it's gonna get loud. There's probably gonna be some debates. Um, I don't know who to start with. Ed, what you been up to, man? Recently, not much. I mean, just kind of trying to survive this heat wave of a summer that's being blessed upon us here in the United States, especially on the East Coast. So we got that going for us. I I was just telling you guys on the pre-show. I literally stepped out of my house to go to the gym. And it felt like 105 outside. Like, it's that oppressively hot right now. Like, I have to have all this water just to get through the day, get through this air conditioning. But that's a whole different story altogether. But otherwise, not much else. Um, 
I think since we last talked, I've been mostly doing a lot of movie premieres with the Party Nerds. We just did um, a screening for Thor Love and Thunder that we just attended. We also had the screening for um, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which was a lot of fun. And then we also did um, Jurassic World Dominion. So I was able to be a part of those uh, screenings on behalf of my crew with the Party Nerds and talk about the movies and talk about a lot of the fun that we had, not even just the movies themselves, but also a lot of the fun that I had just kind of linking up with the party nerds once again, uh, being a part of these bigger events, especially as we go towards the fall with New York Comic Con around the horizon. And then, of course, outside of that, just getting my gaming on for some god-awful reason, I got back into Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. I don't know why to this day. I just started, I was like, I need something to play, and I'm tired of Rocket League, and I want to play a shooter. So now, And I didn't want to play Warzone, so I just ended up playing... Uh, Black Ops Cold War multiplayer, and I was just like, okay, it's fun, but I constantly feel like my uh, my hit detection kind of sucks, but that's a whole different story for another day. But otherwise, been doing that, been keeping up with everything going on with uh, AEW, of course. Um, that's been the only wrestling product that happens around these parts right now, so there's that. And uh, I'm just kind of looking forward to the rest of the summer and then going into uh, my big stretch in the fall with con season. Not even you're not even playing Vanguard. I don't have I don't have Vanguard. I thought about buying it originally when it was coming out last year. I went to a panel where one of the main script, the one of the main storyboard writers, one of the main writers of the story for Vanguard, she had a panel at Comic Con. She was because she was writing the prequel comic book. So I thought about buying it. I just never took that next step. Um, I probably should have at least just to try it out. Um, in a way, I'm kind of glad I didn't because I want to save up for uh, Modern Warfare 2. Okay. I might eventually buy Vanguard like if it's on sale and play the story mode because the story mode is actually pretty good. So I'll try it for that. Uh, but I'm, right now I'm just saving up for Modern Warfare and I'm trying to avoid buying games where it may not sink a lot of time into it or they're not worth my investment. Right. Sonic or- The Sonic Origins collection is one. Really? So there's that. Dude. 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 Listen. You know me. Yeah. You know my love for Sonic the Hedgehog. Right. I'm going to tell you that that retro collection is terrible. Absolutely terrible. Because um, it's in a position where the ports that they use, for the most part, were the mobile ports. So they were Christian Whitehead's ports. I was like, okay, that sounds pretty interesting. Okay, so there's certain music in Sonic the Hedgehog 3 you couldn't use because, um, t- supposedly... They weren't created by Michael Jackson, which is true. He did work on some of the soundtrack for Sonic 3. Right. So they had to take out three levels worth of songs and put in newer ones. And the music is all right because it's from the beta version of Sonic 3. But the way they mixed it for this game is terrible. And there's just tons of glitches throughout most of the games, especially with the Sonic 3 port. Because it's the only one that Christian Whitehead did not do. He worked on the original Sonic 1 and 2. And then he did Mania, which is like one of the best games I ever played. But this is just awful, man. Like, it's really, really bad what they did to the game. And uh, I just decided that it was – and it's not even worth 40 bucks. They charge 40 bucks for it, and it's not even worth that. It's four, five, technically, retro Sonic games. If it was, like, 20 bucks, I don't care. 25, not 40. It's not worth 40 bucks. Really? I'm going to leave it at that because it's maybe upset to this day that I had to look at this crap Sonic game. Then followed up with another crap-looking Sonic game with all the beta footage that they've been showing for Sonic Frontiers. And I'm upset at how bad 
that looks, and I made a rant video on our Instagram page, okay. and I'm just because it's so empty and terrible. And I'm, no, don't no, uh, no. Son, this is not the year of Sonic for me this year. I'm really upset. Damn. Cut it. Wait, hey, I did say we gotta go off the rails. <laughs> I didn't want to go off more and more and more, but uh, oh, no, I mean that that's what how I feel right now. Oh, I'm sure we're gonna get into it. <laughs> Patrick, my friend, how's everything in your neck of the woods? Everything's good, man. Uh, gearing up for ZoloCon uh, next week. I well, this week I'm emceeing their uh, Miss Pac-Man tournament, and uh, I'm going to have a table for Legacy Comics, which is the comic book company that I own. Uh, the week after that, I'm going to be at StarCast, which is uh, this wonderful wrestling event that's going to culminate in, like, Ric Flair's last professional match. Um, as a, I'm going to be a part of the WrestleQuest team, where I serve as the lead voice actor. Um, my latest book, The Minds Behind Sega Genesis Games, was just released about two weeks ago. So, And we're also prepping for The Minds Behind Sony PlayStation Games, which should be coming out this fall. It's already done. Uh, 43 games featured. It's bigger than the Genesis book that you were just showing, so I'm super hyped for that. Um, doing voice acting on like five more games that I can't discuss as of right now, but uh, did some voiceover today for one of them. Uh, helping out Tony Barnes, uh, who just did, um, he just released BPM Boy on the Atari PCS. I played the main villain in that game, so that's been a lot of fun. Um, did some voiceover this week for World Championship Boxing Manager 2, which is coming out on Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, 5, and 9 yards. So that's been a lot of fun. Uh, I'm a college professor. I've been a college professor for 16 years. I teach two classes this summer. So it's busy. Not a lot of time for uh, games or to be angry at games, but uh, <laughs> I, I do get my, my 20 minutes, 25 minutes here and there of uh, what have I been playing mostly lately? Like, I played some Contra uh, 3 Alien Wars today. Um, I played some Super Bowling the day before. Um, I try and get in, like, an hour or two of any, like, Aki Nintendo 64 wrestling game, because those are just my jam. Um, so that's that's the thing. It's like I spend all this time writing about video game history that I play significantly less than I used to. But, um, yeah, that's kind of what I'm up to right now. You stay, and you stick with the retros, I've noticed. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I have over four thousand games, um, but uh, for the most part, yeah. Like, uh, I have a Retron three fifty, which I have like twenty thousand ROMs on. So it's just like I have like four thousand physical games, but I probably I have tons and tons of, of ROMs. So that's like kind of like my research machine. Like I just take it with me like wherever I go. Like when my my son's two, when he was uh, when my wife was in labor with him, I was playing Parasite Eve on the PlayStation. You know, that's so, you know, it's like, I <laughs> take amazing. that thing with me. You know, I, I had just, the day before, I had just finished interviewing the um, one of the level designers of Parasite Eve, because that's in the next PlayStation book. And uh, I was trying to re-familiarize uh, myself with the game. So, like, it was during, like, the height of COVID, so they wouldn't let me in the room with my wife until she was, like, ready to, like, give birth. So I'm sitting in the waiting room, and I'm just like, all right, I'm going to play Parasite Eve. So I was doing that. So that's kind of, like... I grew up in the 80s and 90s, so I try and stick with that stuff because that's the stuff that like resonates with, with me most. Yeah. Parasite Eve is the um, reason why I really don't play RPGs now. Really? Yes. Fine. Rage quit. I just ran out of everything. I was it's stuck hard. and I was like so aggravated. Like I think I was like in the middle of the second disc. Yeah. Because I remember it was like a three disc game. It's. I think it's two. I'm not sure. 
But, two. Uh, yeah, I don't remember if it was the two top or of my three. Head, I think it's two. Yeah, two? most um, of the Capcom games around that time were two discs. Yeah, and I was on... It's actually a square. It's a Squaresoft game. Yeah. Um, oh, second. yeah, that's right. Yeah. And the reason why I remember is because, like, uh, my publisher is always like, listen, if you're going to interview a Squaresoft team, that's fine, but we can't put any of their pictures on the front cover because they'll sue us. And I'm like, really? What? Like, we're promoting their stuff, and they're like, yeah, we could have it in the book, that's fine, but if we put it on the front cover, they'll sue us. So, really funny side story about Parasite Eve. One of the lead-level designers in that game taught himself Japanese by watching anime and playing Japanese games. Wow. Wow. Like, English was his first language, and he taught himself Japanese by playing Japanese role-playing games. Imagine turning on, like, Final Fantasy and not knowing a lick of Japanese, and by the end of it, knowing Japanese. Like, the guy is a freaking genius. So, that was a really fun interview for that book. So. Yeah, because I have finally, I finally start. I started um, Minds Behind the Games, uh, the Sega games today. Mm-hmm. I literally, honestly, I cannot put it down. Like, I'm, I'm not, I'm <laughs> dead serious. Like, I'm sitting there like, should I get another game in before, should I get another chapter in before I go? And I'm like, no, nah, because I'm going to be late. So, but, because uh, <laughs> then I'll end up, like, reading another one. But um, I never knew I never knew Alter Beast was the first like the first game that came with the original Sega. I always thought it was just Sonic that came with their Sega yeah. because that was like the face of the thing. I never knew it was Alter Beast, and I don't like I hate Alter Beast. Yeah, it's not a very good game. <laughs> a lot of sacrifices had to be made to get that to work on the Genesis. And, I noticed. Um, it's still, like, a lot of people love it on the Genesis, but the reason why I wanted it in the Genesis book is because Riko Kadama worked on it, and she is, like, the first lady of video game design. She wrote most of the story for some of the best RPGs, like, in the fantasy story universe. Like, she is, like, they they call her, like, the, like she's, like, the queen of, of Sega, you know? Like, um, and I really like to be as inclusive and diverse as possible. I don't like all of my, you know sources to be male or female or american or this or that and, and japanese developers are super hard to get a hold of and many of them don't particularly like to speak about their work they think of it like once it's done they don't want to talk about it anymore so but luckily um i went to jacob Nahin, who was a pr guy for sega who had used to work for atlas and i was super close with him when he was at atlas and i was like dude i'm doing a sega book and i already got somebody on the sonic 2 team so, and I'm like, and I got Vector Man, and I got, like, you know, I got all these, like, great games. I'm like, but I need, I need Rico Kadama. And they're like, what do you want to talk to her about? I'm like, she's done a thousand interviews on Fantasy Star, so I want to do something different. Let's talk about that Altered Beast board. And they were like, okay. And I couldn't believe that. Sega was so freaking cool. Like, um, if it wasn't for Sega and then Blue Sky, and Blue Sky were the people that did, like, Vector Man, um, yeah. World Series Baseball. Like, if, the, if those two people didn't, those two, like, groups of people didn't get together, um, this book wouldn't have been nearly as good as it turned out to be. So, um, it was just so, so much fun. Yeah, Altered Beast is, like, one of, there's, the thing that I like about this book is there's a couple of chapters. There's probably, like, out of the 43 games, there's, like, five or six chapters that are on the thinner side that you could read in, like, four or five pages. But then you go to some of the other chapters, and they're like, the Mortal Kombat 3 chapter is like 15 pages, where they just literally break down how they were able to make that so goddamn close to the arcade port. Like, step by step, the rendering process, like the whole nine yards, and it's just like, if you want to get super geeky, like, that's the chapter to get super geeky on. And then you have like the Altered Beast chapter, where they're just talking about like, 
all the struggles and stuff, but it's like really easily digestible. So there's like yeah. a lot of different types of reading experiences within the book. So I'm super proud of the way it turned out. Oh yeah, because I was really surprised, like how, like the struggle that it took for all to be same. For one, not knowing that it was originally an arcade game, and yeah. Yeah, there's actually a significant difference between like the arcade version and the console version. Like, like it was like almost two completely different games. Absolutely, and you know what a lot of people don't get is, like, the team that worked on it on the arcade isn't the same exact team that worked on, on it on console, you know, and it's just, like, that's, like, one of the things that I live for. Like, when I go into a GameStop and somebody goes, oh, well, this game sucks, and I'm, like, and they're, like, I don't understand why, you know, this WWE game is so good and this one is so bad, and I'll be, like, do you have five minutes? Because I can tell you exactly why. You know, I can tell you the producer, I can tell you the developer, I can tell you the and and they'll go, oh, my God, da, da, da. And so it's not the same people? Like, no, it's not the same people, you know? It's, like, it's crazy. It's, like, you're barber. If you have a great barber and he changes the barbershop he works at, you go with him. Right. You know? Because that's your barber. And the thing is, game developers, we should be like that with game developers. We should be like, you know what? Hideo Kojima, that's my guy. I'm going to go with him everywhere. But there are so many developers that you love, but you don't even know who their names are. You could be standing next to them in a Starbucks or a Quiznos, and you would have no idea who they are. And you follow them throughout their career, but you have no idea who they are. So it's just like one of my goals in writing all of these books is to like give people that have made these games an opportunity to tell their story and for you to actually remember their names. So this way you can go online, look them up and go, oh, my God, that's why I liked that game. Because it's the same guy that did that game, blah, 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 blah. Like I want that type of interconnectivity. It's so weird that you can remember who sang like – 40 different songs, but you can't remember who designed 40 different games that you love. You know, so that's just something that, like, I've constantly tried to, like, fix as, as an author of these books. So. Right. Now, is there a game that you wish you could have got a hold of somebody to put in this in this book? Oh, yeah. Uh, not necessarily in this book, because this book I was pretty happy with, like, all the stuff that I got. And the, the PlayStation book, um, up until, like, two weeks before, two weeks before the the manuscript was due, I ended up getting the lead vocalization manager on Final Fantasy VII who told me an amazing story of, like, the first time that anyone in North America saw Aeris die. And, like, it was basically, like, 50, 50 uh, guys translating the game, and they're all like, oh, my God, oh, my God, and they're all seeing it, like, on 50 different screens all at the same time, and they're just like, no! So, like, that, like, for me, made the PlayStation book so special, but, like, um... The first book, the first Minds Behind the Games book, I contacted Nintendo, who I have a great relationship with. You know, they've featured my work on, you know, advertisement and stuff like that over the years. Um, I'm like, I need somebody from the Pokemon. And they're like, um, well, no. And I'm like, oh, okay. I, and then, like, two weeks go by, and I'm like, give me somebody from the Pokemon. And they're like, this is what we're going to do. And they gave me, like, this, like, 38-page, like, PDF of, like, every, like, fact that you could ever like want to know about Pokemon. Wow. And if I was any type of other author, I would have written a Pokemon chapter. But my thing is like every chapter in every book in the five books that I've done that are published and the two that are unpublished, we're talking over a million words of video game history um, over the past five years, all of them are fueled by original brand new interviews conducted by myself. So 
Um, it's never about me. It's never about my opinion. It's me setting the context of, of this game, like where, where each game fits in like popular culture and sales numbers and things like that, and then just letting the developer speak. So like, without getting a developer for Pokemon, could not put it in the book. So any other author would have taken that 38 pages and been like, oh my god, I can write a slamming chapter. But if I don't get a developer to actually speak about the game, I can't put it in. It's more like an integrity kind of thing, right? Like Absolutely. it's just more like having the ability to hear the about that work in the developer's own words. Like that's Absolutely. what makes it a lot better. Absolutely, because like for me, I hear people bitch about games all day long, all day, and I have nothing against people bitching about games because you know what? If you pay for a game, you're allowed to bitch about it. But my whole thing is, it's just like I think hearing from the people that make the game uh, has more staying power than someone's opinion. Because my whole thing is, it's just like someone can bitch about how bad a game is but until they talk to the developer and find out what happened during the development cycle their words hold significantly less water for me than the person that actually made it it's like i'll give you like an example in the genesis game chacon uh that's a chapter on my map a lot of a lot of people love that game because of the art design and stuff like that but then they'll say like oh well certain levels play don't play as good as certain other levels blah, blah, blah. and then you find out that the lead developer's brother died in the middle of the, of the development process you know, so it just like it took like a big chunk out of him, and uh, another group of people had to finish, you know, the game. So it's like it's so easy for people to go, oh, the first half of Shikan really hit hard, but the second half sucks. It's like you don't know the story, you know. So the thing is, for me, I I prefer not to like put a number on a rating for a game or say that a game is good or bad. I I try and just like look at a game as like a, the sum of its parts, and I try and find something that like if somebody goes, oh, Shikan. I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of the game's gameplay. I think the hit detection isn't great and stuff, but I love the score and I love the art design. So when somebody says Shikan, I'm like, ah, oh, the score of that game and the level design is beautiful. And then I move on, you know, because it's like, it's so easy to just trash a game. It's like, let's celebrate like what's good about a game. And if there's this tiny little thing that we can celebrate, I'm going to try and find that. And then if there's like a story behind why the game doesn't hit as hard when it's supposed to, I want to tell that story too, you know, so... I feel like that that upholds the game's le- game's legacy far more than just saying, "Oh, well, its Metacritic score is a three, and IGN thought it sucked." Well, 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 you know, like that to me, that doesn't do anything. So. IGN actually like gives something a bad rating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. That too. Mm-hmm. yeah, they're yeah, that's 7.9 out of 10. That meme that will live on forever for them. Actually, I have a question. Um, because the Sega Genesis and the Sony PlayStation are my kind of development. The, the consoles that kind of developed me as a kid growing up. My first console was the Sega Genesis with Sonic 2 and their, that library, and then I moved on to the PlayStation. I was in the Sega Genesis, based off of a lot of stuff you're describing. What developer did you talk to gave you one of the more fascinating tidbits about a game that you loved that you didn't know about? Oh, so uh, I'm pretty sure this is in the Minds Behind Sports games. Um, so that's the thing. Like, the minds behind the games, the minds behind adventure games, minds behind sports games, minds behind shooter games, there's Genesis games in all four of those books. You know, there's all sorts of different consoles and stuff in those four books. So, like, the minds behind Genesis games is just Genesis games. But, like, I've, I've interviewed the developers, I would say, of over, like, 150 Genesis games in all of my books and stuff. So, one of my favorite stories was, so I'm a big Madden, I'm not so much a Madden guy anymore, but back in the day back in the day i was a super big madden guy and um i ended up getting the assistant producer of the original nhl nhl pa 93 nhl 94 series michael brook 
to sit down and do an interview for my first book. But then um, we ended up becoming fast friends, and he's an awesome guy. And when I started The Minds Behind Sports Games, I was like, can we talk Madden, the original Madden? And um, we waited for him to be in New York City. And I uh, went to his hotel, and we were sitting like out in like you know the common area of the hotel, super nice, sitting down on the couch, just put the recorder in between two of us, and we we're just bullshitting for like four hours. And um, he told me a story that was so insane. Um, I'll share it with you guys if you guys want me to. Um, so, um, so what happens is, if you guys know anything about the Sega Genesis and Electronic Arts, is Electronic Arts created a team of developers to backwards engineer the Nintendo Entertainment System and the Sega Genesis. And that's the reason why the cartridges for the Sega Genesis made by Electronic Arts look different. So what happened was Electronic Arts was like, okay, Sega is going to make our cartridges for this much money. But if we have our team backwards engineer the Sega Genesis, we can make our own cartridges for cheaper in the United States instead of having them shipped from Japan and blah, blah, blah. We can save all this time, all this energy and we'll, we'll be able to make more money. So they do that, and they're releasing games on the Sega Genesis, and Sega is not happy about it at all. Sega is pissed. Um, so now the thing is, Sega has to approve every game that's coming out on the Genesis, but naturally, because Electronic Arts is making great games, Sega's like, you know what, we're going to make money from these guys, blah, 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 it's not that big. Until Sega sees the original John Madden football. Which, ironically, is not the original John Madden Football. The original John Madden Football was made on PC, on the DOS, and it was made by a developer by the name of Robin Antonick. Um, and when it came out, it did not sell at all. It sold terribly. John Madden called it an abortion. Um, and what happened was, they uh, he literally called it an abortion. Um, and what happened was, they were going to try and port it over to the Genesis. And then this other team was doing this arcade-style football game, and uh, they were like, you know what we could do? We could make this Madden. We could take the Madden from the DOS and just kill it, forget about it, and use the Madden license for this game instead. So originally it was supposed to be like Electronic Arts, like arcade football or something like that. But instead they took the Madden license and they went to Madden. Listen, we're not making any money off of this football game for the PC, so what we want to do is we want to give you less of a royalty and transfer your likeness and stuff over to this game. And luckily he said yes, and it worked out beautifully for him. So anyway, so now with the with the Madden for the Genesis, Sega plays it, and Sega goes, yeah, we... And, they're, and Electronic Arts is like, uh, what? I'm like, yeah, we want to buy this. And if you don't let us buy this, then we're going to sue you for backwards engineering our console, and da-da-da-da-da. So what happens is the lead producer on Madden is away on vacation. So back in the day, if you work seven years at EA, you got a seven-day vacation in the seventh year. Seven days paid vacation. So they're having these negotiations with Sega the week that the lead producer is not there. So now Michael Brook, the assistant producer, is in charge of all of these negotiations with Trip Hawkins. The... Oh. Oh. Um, Oh man, looks like uh, I was like into that. We're, we're about to get to the best part too, and that before he comes back on, that's the thing that got me the most is because when I was a kid growing up, I always wondered why like I would pot, buy a Sega Genesis game made by EA, and I would try to like pull the yellow tab. Yeah, that, that's the first thing that stuck out was, as he was talking about. I was just like, wait, the yellow tab games? What? Why did yeah, that, that happen? Can you hear me? 
Oh, uh, am I back? Okay, okay yeah, you're back. You're back. Okay. So, uh, so what was the? I'm sorry. What was the last thing you guys heard me say? I think you were discussing the associate producer who had to be involved in the yes. negotiations yeah. while so now, the so main producer involved, was away. Yeah. So now he's involved in the negotiations. And yes, um, Ed, you did a beautiful job of explaining. Yes, the yellow tab. That's all from the backwards engineering. That's how they designed their their cartridges and stuff like that. So, so now Michael Brook is like, all right, let's call Sega back. Um, if they want to buy this game, it's because it's really good. And basically, um, Electronic Arts was like, if we can sell 50,000 copies of this game, like we're going to break even and we'll make the money back that we lost from the original Madden. And they really felt like that they had something strong. So they call up Sega and they're like, listen, we're not selling it, but how can we work with you? How can we make sure that we don't get sued? So then this is where the story gets really funky and really fun. So Sega's like, well, listen, the reason why we want to buy Madden off of you is because we're making a football game now called Joe Montana Football, and um, it's not very good. And um, this is this is going to kill it. Like, when people play Madden, they're not going to want to play Joe Montana Football. So then EA, in their infinite wisdom, is like, all right, so how about you guys send us the ROM of Joe Montana football and we'll give you some pointers and we'll help you out. And da, 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 da. So Sega agrees. Sega fires the entire team for Joe Montana football and EA effectively finishes Joe Montana football. So now EA never gets credit for Joe Montana football, but the reason why Joe Montana football is even playable is because EA fixed it and cleaned it up, but they had to make sure that as much as they cleaned it up, that it wouldn't be better than the original Madden. So, that's a pretty wild story, and it gets even better. So now they're trying to like imp impress Sega because they want to keep the relationship as strong as possible because now if you want to make a sports game on a 16-bit console, you want to make it on the Genesis and not the Super Nintendo. Super Nintendo is your RPG machine, your fighting game machine, and stuff like that. It's not your sports game machine. So what happens is they end up creating an instant replay system that they were going to use in Madden 92, but not using the original Madden, and they ended up putting it in Mon Joe Montana football as like a beta, like to see if it works. So now it's working so good that they're like, oh my God, if we put this in our game, then like no one's going to buy Madden. They're going to play Joe Montana football. So they're basically creating, like they, they're in control of their competition and they're actually inadvertently making their competition better. So now they're getting to the point where like Sega wants the finished product and Sega's like, guys, how are we doing? Are we almost finished yet? Are you guys going to send the ROM in? And Michael Brook, in his infinite wisdom, is like, yeah, you know what? The game's almost done, but there's one thing. We were going to put instant replay in the game, and it's not really working that well, so if we could take that out, we would be able to ship you the game today. And Sega goes, okay, no problem. So they use the instant replay the next year in the next Madden, and Joe Montana football didn't get it. <laughs> so I, I end up hearing this story, and like, this whole story of the whole Madden origin story and stuff like that. And I remember pressing stop on the, on the recorder and I went, Mike, does anyone else in the world like know this story? And he's like, um, he goes trip and said, told it to a magazine, maybe like 10 years ago. He goes, but the magazine went out of business. It's nowhere online. Like you can't find it anywhere. Like, so I'm like, wait, so like, this is going to be like exclusive in my book. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Like, Holy like no shit. And I was like, thank you so much. And I remember going home on the train and just listening to it again. And I was just like, man, this is some good shit. And um, that was probably the founding fathers of EA are some of the most intelligent, down-to-earth, passionate people that I've ever met. And I know there are so many people now that love to shit on EA. But we're talking like electronic arts from like 1988 to like 2000. 
those people are absolutely amazing. And those people, before they went to EA, were working at places like Atari, Accolade, um, just doing amazing things. So it's just like, I've interviewed so many of them. Like Don, Don Traeger, who was like one of the founding fathers of EA Sports, he actually came up with like the name of the Electronic Arts Sports Network, which was before EA Sports. He started off in Atari. And he ended up becoming one of the first producers at Rockstar, and he actually signed the team that put together the original Grand Theft Auto. So the thing is, it's just like, EA has had their footprint in so many things, and to be able to put all of those pieces together, and like, all of these people wish me a happy birthday every year, they wish me a Merry Christmas and stuff, so it's just like, being able to pick all of these video games... It's these video game maniacs, these video game historians, these video game, like, pioneers as brains for a couple of seconds to... Tell their story. Amazing stuff. Just amazing stuff. I hope that answered your question. No, that's that's <laughs> fascinating in its own right because like I, <laughs> it's funny when you bring up EA like the like one of the things about video games that I find fascinating is that your mind can sometimes just go in a couple different places. So as you were talking about the EA story, um, I rem I started reflecting back on playing NFL Football '94 starring Joe Montana. That was the cover, and they had voiceovers, they had commentary. Like, I just remember that stuff and then playing Madden the next couple of years after that. And then I just yeah, remember... The funny thing about those NFL 94 games is that, like, the team that created the original Madden and the original NHL Park Place Productions, they ended up leaving EA and they ended up designing those NFL games for Sega. So they went from EA to Sega. And this is the things that, like, people don't, don't remember or don't get, like... Primetime Football, NFL 96, starring Deion Sanders. That's designed by the same people that designed the original Madden. Two different companies, though. So a lot of people are like, oh, I only play EA games. I won't play a Sega football game. But, bro, same people that made those games that you love are now making the competition. If you don't follow along in all of those things, then you have no idea. Then you're just a mindless consumer that will just buy something based on a logo. And that's my whole thing. Like, whenever I see a little kid in, like, GameStop, and he's like, oh, this game sucks, I'm like, bro... Come here. And I will sit I will sit there a little ass down for five minutes and I will be like boom 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 boom. I'll go into like the retro video game store and I'm like, you sure this game is only five bucks? And they'll go, What do you mean? I'm like, this guy, perfect example, Jeff Spandenberg, I'm like, this is the founding father of like Retro Studios. This is Metroid Prime, this is like all these other games. He's like, But this game sucks and I'm just like, Yeah, but do you know that there's a, a girl in this game that's like topless that was sixteen and it went to court and blah 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 and they'll go, What? And I'm like, Look it up. And then they'll go, oh my god, and then I'll buy the game for five bucks, and then two weeks later I'll go to the video game store, and the same $5 game is now $19.99, you know, so it's just like, I love picking up pieces of video game history like that, and knowing all of those things. It's like, it's akin to like music, and going, oh, the bassist in this band, he was actually the bassist in this band, and da 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 so it's just like, for me, there's this big spider web in video game history that I just, I absolutely adore putting together. You know, and I think, one, I'm going to follow up with this, because I think what I've as soon as you bring up video game history, the first thing that I think of is, I want more video game history. Yes, you have the the museum in Rochester, New York, that has the Video Game Hall of Fame. And you have like the Paley Center, I know is trying to do video game exhibits. And I remember I was talking to a woman who was building an exhibit for Paley GX, which is their gaming setup. Like they bring kids in, they can play games on their big screen. You know, the Paley Center is all about television, media, and archives and all this historic stuff about television and the one thing that i asked her with as a follow-up question is you're putting so much effort into paley gx and the video game stuff 
when do you think video games could also be archived? And I think that's the thing that's missing so much when you do these interviews and you tell these stories and all the history that I remember playing. Fun tangent. I The only EA game that I remember really sticking out wasn't even a game that EA published. It was made by a developer called Psygnosis, which is called Fatal Rewind. And it came out on the Atari as the Killing Game Show. It's a random side-scrolling mm-hmm. shooter, but yeah. that's a tangent thing. But just knowing that gaming in its own right doesn't have the proper channels outside of just going to random yard sales or finding a retro store and trying to see if you can find that one little game that is in the back of your mind from like 15 years ago, 25 years ago. Yep. And I think just being able to have these stories told not only helps with understanding the history of the of the entire medium as a whole, but also just understanding how much more history can be more favorable towards video games if we just had some level of access to Absolutely. those games like in the past. That's been like my biggest um, goal is to just have somebody read a chapter and go, you know, I thought that game was shit because the angry video game nerd didn't like it. Now I understand like what's really going on and it's like I knew it was going to be a slow burn and it was going to be a long... So like, I mean, I wrote the first book in 2016 it didn't come out until like early 2018 so now we're talking... I've released five books in, like, the last five years. Like, we're talking, these are heavy hitters, over 100,000 words, like, tons and tons of work going into these books. And it just started to happen, like, a year and a half ago, two years ago, where we're, like, Harvard, Yale, Stanford, UCLA, UC Berkeley, University of Shanghai, all these colleges start picking up my book, and it's, it's being used in video game history courses and video game design courses and stuff, and it's, like... In 20 years from now, these books are going to be even more important because it's like the people that I've interviewed, sadly, are not going to be here anymore, you know? And it's just like, I remember the first book, like, I interviewed the guy that ported Doom on the Game Boy Advance. And uh, the story of how Doom got to work on a Game Boy Advance was just, like, insane, you know? And the guy had worked in the video game industry for, like, 30 years, and um, my manuscript wasn't due... For like three more days and i had like two thousand words that i wanted to build and i basically he like ghosted me online and i just messaged him and i'm like listen i've got like three thousand two thousand three thousand words left in this book they're yours if you can just answer the questions that i sent you like months ago and then he tells me you know he's battling cancer and da 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 and i felt terrible but he sent me the answers oh and he sent me the release and i got him in the book and i emailed him to thank him and haven't heard from him since so it's like i don't know if he's still here you know so it's just like stuff like that is to me is like super important you know to be able to tell people stories and each chapter of the book is uh, some of them aren't as personal as others but some of them like perfect example like david perry who did aladdin for the genesis it's like the fourth best-selling game in sega genesis history the guy's six foot eight and um he slept in his car for most of the development cycle. Like, he didn't go home. You know, so it's just like, I want people to understand how much how much these people give up. Like, the EA, if you guys are familiar with the Electronic Arts, like, wives letter, when all of these wives wrote to the bosses of Electronic Arts, and they're like, please send our husbands home. Like, we, we miss our families. Like, we're missing holidays, we're missing birthdays, all because of, like, you know, the crunch is ridiculous, you know? So it's just, like, I want these stories to be told. So it's just, like, over the past, like, two years, I've definitely started to, like, see the love and appreciation 
of like the stuff that I've been doing. But in the beginning, it was hard because it's like I'm trying to tell people how important video game history is, and they're just like, oh, well, the game only sold like, you know, 200,000 copies, blah, 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 it's not that important, blah, 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 and I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, some some people just don't, they don't get it. Right. You know? But the, peop- the people that do, they eat the stuff up. So, it's like, I just, it's just hard to find that convergence sometimes. Yeah, because I actually found the chapter of Shadowrun very interesting. It's like, yeah. oh, it wasn't, like, that big of a hit, but it was like... Yeah. It was, like, such a groundbreaking masterpiece, you know, for its time. Yeah, I mean, the three to, to be able to do 3D on the Genesis is insanely difficult. Right. You know, and they, they were able to pull that off. You know, and the fact of the matter is, like, you have Shadowrun on the Super Nintendo done by Data East, like, a year before. And then you have Shadowrun, the same license, the same type of game. Um, the, same, the same license, the same name, the same property on the Genesis with a completely different developer and back in the day when you were a kid you thought, Oh Shadowrun on the Super Nintendo and Shadowrun on the Genesis. They're they're the same thing, just on a different console. And no, two completely different games by two completely different teams. So it's like I love to like just make people's brains like explode with stuff like that. You know? I love so. that about the I love that about the sixteen bit era. Like uh, I actually follow a YouTube channel it's got a small file about 50k uh 50k on youtube it's called console wars and they actually do have a lot of those um comparison videos like they always do a game every week or every every so often they do a game they show hey you know primarily they do sega genesis super nintendo but sometimes they'll do nes versus master system etc but it's always fascinating when you see two just to your point two games on two different consoles supposed to be the same game but it's absolutely not when you think of like Aladdin, when you think of yep. like I've seen Mickey Mania on their channel, all kinds of games and just seeing like, wait, so if I had a, if, if I grew up with a Super Nintendo, my whole thing would have been different because I would have been playing that version of like Aladdin with like the it being a pure platformer. Whereas yep. if I played the Genesis version, it's more like a hack and slash kind of a game. I'm like, yep. that just blows because, my I mean, mind Aladdin to think didn't like you even have a sword in the Super he didn't no not at all no he didn't have a sword yep he was throwing apples and doing platforming that was aladdin on super nintendo but on the genesis he had his sword he He was sword sword fighting and everything and the thing is the one for the one for the sega genesis had basically the origins of like cell shaded uh, animation cell powered graphics when capcom didn't want disney's direct help that way and they did everything in-house by themselves when Virgin Interactive, Shiny, they eventually became, they were super smart and they worked super close with with, uh, with Disney to turn out like a beautifully licensed game. So, And they're both great games that both sold over a million copies, but the one on the Genesis sold like over four million compared to the one million that it sold on the Super Nintendo. So it's wild stuff. There are two games I really wanted to learn about that you didn't put it, I was hoping you put it in the book. The Streets of Rage, didn't matter which one. Mm-hmm. I tried. In, in Comic Zone. Comic Zone, so the, the thing with Comic Zone was the developer said yes to me, and I sent them questions, and they never answered. <sighs> and that happens. So it's just like, I have 43, 43 games written in the Sega Genesis uh, book, and I would say there was probably like five other games that could have gotten into the book, but I didn't think the answers were good enough, so I kept them out. And then there was probably about 300 other games that I pitched, 
and probably about 15 more that said yes, but then never sent me answers. Oh, so, yeah, and that, that happens every, and this is the reason why people go like, oh my god, like, you've written five books in four and a half years, and I'm like, no, I've really written seven in four and a half years, I've got two more that are done that I'm just waiting to come out, but the thing is, it's just like, I actively speak to game developers every single day, you know, so it's just like, sometimes they say yes, sometimes they say no, sometimes we talk for a little while and they bounce, or sometimes they give me answers, but then they don't want to sign a release, because now they know that they're on the hook for whatever they said, and um, I'm never trying to, like, get anybody, like, get anybody, I'm not about, like, any gotcha journalism, I just, I want them to be comfortable with me and tell me, tell me a story and stuff, but, like, sometimes, you know, things happen, a lot of these guys are still in game development, so then they realize, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't say anything while I'm still working, or some of them aren't in game development anymore, and they're retired, and they just don't want to deal with the video game industry anymore, so there's, like, so many different things that come up, but, yeah, Comic Zone, I would have loved to have Comic Zone in the game, and, see, the thing with Streets of Rage is, as much as I love Streets of Rage, I think I'd be more interested in the music of Streets of Rage. Absolutely. The actual gameplay. Like, I think in terms of gameplay, I think it's a fun beat-em-up, but I just think, I think the, the ambiance of the game and the look of the game is what really sets it apart, because gameplay-wise, it's, it's a pretty run-of-the-mill fun beat-em-up, but visually and musically, I mean, it's just me. That's the thing that I, those are, I think, the X factors that really set it apart. So, um... I don't know how much they would have been able to say, you know, about the music and stuff. And I don't know. Also, I, I would did, definitely tried. Yeah. Also, I was curious about like how one was good, two's the best of the whole series, and three kind of just was mid at best. It's I hard. still had fun with it, but it was mid at best. Yeah, it's hard. You know, I mean, think about it too. These guys are chugging away for nine, ten months on the game. And this is the thing, too, especially, like, when it comes to platformers and sports titles. You need two or three games to really get to all the things that you wanted to get to. A beat-em-up, again, it's pretty lather, rinse, repeat. Punch, kick, throw. There's only so much innovation in the beat-em-up genre. So it's just, like, I think by the time they got to Streets of Rage 2, Streets of Rage 2 was just a culmination. The music got better, and then they were able to do all of the things that they couldn't do in the first one yet. But then by the time 3 comes, it's like, what else do you do? And that's the reason why, like, I think, like, the beat-em-up genre, like, kind of died. The same way that, like, Toys to Life died and Rhythm Games died. Because it's like, after a while, it's like, there's, there's no more innovation. And it's the same reason why, like, I completely predict in the next, like, four or five years, you're not going to see, like, Madden released every year, like, physical. It's going to, you're going to be able to buy it, but it, it, you're basically, like, when a new console comes out, you're going to download, like, a base you know, a base disc and stuff like that, and you're going to just download new rosters or download new patches and stuff, and they're going to charge you for those things, you know? So it's going to be like, you bought Madden 2023, and then Madden 2024 is going to come out, and they're going to go, well, if you still want to continue to play your Madden 2023, you can upgrade, blah, 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 or your Madden 23 from last year is no longer good, which is going to be an incredibly interesting situation because the way it is now, like, you could play your Madden 14 whenever you want, your Madden 15 now, so, like, the thing is, the industry is going to change a lot, you know, so, that's the reason, one of the reasons why I love RPGs so much, and why I love adventure games, because it's, like, they can't really, like, take that experience with them, you know, um, sports and any games that have tons of online capability and microtransactions, they can pull those games whenever they want from you, and you can never experience it the same exact way you originally played it, and it's, it's pretty crazy. I got one question I had to follow up. 
one of the things that you just mentioned was that there were a lot of uh, developers in terms of specific games that could have given you, like, you had the ability to say, hey, can I send you questions? You, you said, yeah. they said yes, sent them the questions, but nothing came back. What's the biggest, like, oh, man, I wish I had that only if they had sent me the responses? Um, so it might be a game that a lot of people don't know. Um, but um, it's called, the game's called Berserk on the Atari 2600. Um, it's one of it's the first game in the arcades to ever have like synthesized voice in it. Um, I totally suggest everyone that's listening right now to look up the game Berserk on the Atari 2600. Um, and its arcade version was basically like it was the biggest arcade game like in the world before like Pac-Man came out. And it's kind of like a top-down shooter. And it had and you would just go from like level to level shooting robots and stuff. And the walls were electrified, so you couldn't touch the walls. And there was a boss called Evil Otto, and it was just like this circle with a smiley face, and he would like come in and like chase after you, and it was pretty scary shit. And there was actually like um, instance of some some kid playing the game for like eight or ten hours straight and dying while playing the game. Um, so the thing is, I got an interview with Alan McNeil, who was the designer of the game on the Atari 2600, and he agreed to do the interview, and uh, then he disappeared, and I was really pissed. I'm like, oh, like, I want this game, you know? And uh, I found out that he passed away. Oh. And, uh, yeah, that was pretty rough. Because he was super nice to me, and a couple of times, like, he emailed me. He's like, I'm working on them. And his mother was really sick. And um, I felt really bad. And uh, to only find out that he had, he had passed away. So that's kind of, like, the one that got away. Um, I would say, because, like, I mean, Pokemon would have been great. Uh, that's a whole like book done, in itself yeah like I've interviewed people that have done all of like the founding fathers of EA we're talking Grand Theft Auto 1 Grand Theft Auto 2 um what else uh, Red Dead Revolver um that is an amazing story all within itself like do you guys know that like Red Dead Revolver was originally a Capcom was it I feel like I've heard this story somewhere that like it was originally Capcom, like. And Capcom but I don't remember had why. no idea what to do with it. So, the team that did um, Red Dead Revolver, um, they were Angel Software. So they, these were basically the guys that got Resident Evil 2 to work on the Nintendo 64, which is like genius. The fact that Resident Evil 2 works on a Nintendo 64, a cartridge-based system, is insane. So what happens is Capcom is like, yo, we need to do business with these guys. And uh, they also did Transworld Surf, which is like surfing games on the PS2 were like next to impossible because like water physics are not what, they're, what they are now. Right. So like just to have a working, enjoyable surfing game on the PlayStation 2 is amazing. So it's the same team, Angel Software. So now the game is in development for like two years and they have no idea like where it's going. Story, the whole nine yards. And then uh, Rockstar, in one way or another, they, they saw the game, and they, they contacted Capcom. They, they were basically like, yeah, we need this. And then they took the game from Capcom, and uh, they made it into like what it is. They, they changed the story. It was a lot more hokey and, and weird and stuff like that. And they like added the story into it that like really set the scene for like Red Dead Redemption and Red Dead Redemption 2 and stuff like that. But like we're talking, that game was in development for like four or five years you know like before the pieces eventually started to get put together and it almost got canceled a whole bunch of times so it's just like i've interviewed like 
the developers of some of the best Rockstar games, the best EA games, we're talking Squaresoft, we're talking original Sony PlayStation games, we're talking Sonic 2, Altered Beast, like, so, I try not to focus too much on the ones that got away, and more on, like, the ones that I did get, because there's always gonna be more that got away, and that's the thing, so like I told you guys, I mean, I've pitched the developers of, like, over a thousand games over the course of my journalism career, and I've probably interviewed the teams behind, like, six or seven hundred so it's just like my odds of like getting what I want are pretty good. Um, so I try and focus on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's always going to be ones that get away. My PlayStation book that's coming out this fall, like Final Fantasy VII wasn't in it. And um, I remember I was hanging out with one of my friends and uh, my friend Tommy. We call him Tommy the Greek because he's like this big Greek guy. And uh, I was showing him like the list of the games. And he's just like, I don't want to say anything. And I'm like, just say it just say it, come on, just say it, and he's like, how the fuck are you doing a PlayStation book, and you don't have Final Fantasy 7, and I was just like, you're right, <laughs> and he's like, you're mad, I'm like, I'm like, no, I'm not mad, just watch, and within two weeks, I had somebody, and then I, I, I showed him the chapter, and he was like, son of a bitch, how did you do it, I'm like, I just went hunting, yeah. you know, I just went hunting, and instruction manuals and websites and just finding people who worked on games and then going on their LinkedIn, you know, finding them on Facebook. I found the guy that did Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie for Sega Genesis, I found him on Instagram. And, you know, so it's just like, um, the, in my first book, the guy, the creator of Where in the World is Carmen San Diego, I found out where he worked in Virginia and I just pulled up his job. I was like, bro, I'm, you know, I want to talk to you. So it's just like, if you're willing to go to those depths to speak to somebody, you're gonna you're gonna get like where you want. So to answer your question, it's just like yeah, of course some have gotten away, but for the most part, like if you put like the five books that are released now and the two that are gonna be coming out like this year or next year together, I mean, I I would put my body of video game journalism work up against like anybody in the entire world. And I'm not saying that out of hubris. I'm not saying it out of cockiness. I'm just saying it because factually speaking, it's over a million words. Like, if you could top it, then do it. You know, it's just like, and it's, it's, I have nothing against influencers and all these people that are sexy on Instagram and doing this and doing that, but it's just like, have you sat down with them? Have you spoken to them? You know, and now doing the voiceover and stuff, and like, I've done writing on games and stuff like that, so it's just like, I've had a lot of fun over the past five years. Man, I can imagine. So, yeah, tell us about WrestleQuest. When did it come out? I saw, I saw it on G4 this morning. I'm just like, yeah, I think I'm going to need this game. <laughs> uh, the funny part is, like, WrestleQuest has been in development for a couple of years. I've been actively on the team, I would say, about 19 months or so. Um, so the thing is, like, I remember Mega Cat Studios when they were just doing um, retro games. Like, they were just making brand new NES and Sega Genesis games for consoles. And the thing is, like, I've owned and operated ReviewFix.com for about 12 years, and um, I found them online, and I was like, guys, I would love to review your work, I would love to interview you guys, and um, James Deegan, the CEO and owner of MegaCat, super cool guy, and we just kept in contact. He was building his empire at the same time that I was building my empire, and we would just bullshit with each other and talk, and super, super awesome guy. And um, I started doing voiceover on games i did voiceover on the padre on nintendo switch ps4 and stuff i play the main character in the game um 
that's a story within itself. Um, if you guys want to hear it later. But um, so I was doing voiceover on like you know I did voiceover on like five or six games, and then James and I were bullshitting and having a conversation. He's like, oh, so you do voiceover now? And I'm like, I'm like I've been doing voiceover my whole life. I just didn't know that I could do it like in video games and stuff. I'm like I've been making prank phone calls and doing voices and stuff like that for for years, you know. And she's like. I, I freak out my daughter all the time when I do Jigglypuff and stuff like that. Like, just that's just me. That's just the type of person that I am. And um, he's like, oh, well, we have this game that we're doing, blah, blah, blah. And he starts talking about wrestling. And I'm like, well, you know that, like, I've interviewed, like, hundreds of professional wrestlers, right? And he's just like, yeah. And I'm like, you know that, like, I've covered, like, Monday Night Raw and, like, all of these, these shows for, like, 15 years. You know that, like, I wrote about wrestling for NBC, right? And he's like, yeah. And he goes, that's why we want you to do voiceover on this, because you're you're going to add, like, a whole extra, like, layer of credibility to it, blah, blah, blah. And they just, if I could describe this game in, like, one sentence, it's everything that you love about wrestling and everything that you love about Japanese RPGs. It's Earthbound meets, like, your favorite wrestling game, you know? Um, it's Mario RPG, Mario RPG or Paper Mario and wrestling combined. Like, the turn-based battling system totally reminds me of Paper Mario in, like, the best way possible. Um, most RPGs end when the opposing enemy has zero hit points. In this, once the player gets, once the enemy gets to zero hit points, you have to pin him. You know, and, it, and if you can't pin him, he kicks out, and then now the turn-based battle continues more. Now there's a momentum meter. And so it's like, it's a turn-based RPG that has wrestling in it. So, so the thing is, like, just being able to see it like, I was immediately floored. The pixel art is beautiful. And then they're like, um, we want you to be... The first, the first way it started off was I, I was going to be the voice of all of the unlicensed ancillary characters and stuff like that. So it was a lot of, uh, 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 you know, a lot of that stuff. And then it was like, okay, the main character, uh, Randy Muchacho Man Santos, is a protege of the Macho Man Randy Savage. So can you do Macho Man? Like, yes, I can. I do Macho Man for them. And they're like, oh my god, that's actually really good. I'm like, I know, I've been doing Macho Man for a long time. So then we did that, and then I was like, also, I've done ring announcing for independent wrestling promotions before, so I was like, I could be the ring announcer in the game, so in, in the game, I'm the ring announcer. Um, and then it was just like, okay, can you do voice acting of all the licensed characters, too? And I'm like, yes. So... Well, the license. So I'm 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 the voice of over a hundred characters in the game, uh, and even some female characters. Um, so it's just been uh, it's been so much fun uh, to be a part of this game. And that's the thing. It's like it's going to be available pretty much every console that's out now. Um, it's a love letter to professional wrestling. It's a love letter to uh, Japanese RPGs. Jeff Jarrett is the executive producer on the game. Um, there's just so much tender love and care under the hood. When you guys see the real wrestlers that are in this game, you're gonna be like, oh, "Holy shit!" My thing is <laughs> and like, then when you, my thing is like, yeah. how was you able to like get the likeness, the likenesses and the voices of all like the licensed wrestlers? Because I know like WWE probably still owns the rights and the likenesses to them. So that's the thing. If uh, so, one of the reasons why I work with Mega Cat Studios is because James Deegan is like a man after my own heart. Um, Zach Manko, the lead writer on WrestleQuest, another man after my own heart. They're like the type of people that if you tell them that they can't do something, they're going to find a way. So like James and Zach and Nick and 
all of those guys, they have reached out to, like, the estates of all of those wrestlers and stuff like that, you know, and they have, like, done everything the right way. They have worked super hard to ensure that, like, so many great wrestlers are in this game, and they've done everything, like, 100% legit, and they just there's a reason why this game has taken so long because there's so much tender love and care under the hood and they've spent all this time cultivating the relationships with these wrestlers or in the case of some of these wrestlers that are no longer here with their family with the people that are in charge of their estates so like um again when you see the list of wrestlers in this you're going to be like how the hell did they get it and the thing is it's like these guys are great at what they do like this company mega cat like they've done some great games on genesis and they did coffee crisis on the switch and xbox one which is really fun like side scrolling beat them up and stuff like that but this is going to take them to a completely another like stratosphere like this game is it's the it's the best thing that they've done and i can honestly say that because i've played everything that they've done you know so to answer your question they've just they've put their they put their heart on the grindstone pretty much and they've put their heart out on their sleeve and they've told people like listen this is what we're doing do you want to be a part of it and they've, they've gotten an amazing lineup of people aligned with this game it's insane that's just impressive and i think that's one of the things i love about rest like wrestling as a whole especially mm-hmm. in the video game format when you're able to take the love of the uh, pro wrestling as a whole and translate into something special. And then when you have people who are honest about the project, we're like, hey, listen, there are a lot of stars that we feel can contribute to this project, and we want to show their, that we care about the influence that they brought to us as kids or as we were growing up loving the industry. And then just be just from the everything that you're saying, just being able to know that their legacies are being represented well in this game. Uh, more, Absolutely. you know, as, you know, as opposed to like other games or anything else and related to that matter, depending on where else their likenesses have been used. I think that's the most impressive part. Like for the, the I was watching a review of a video game series not too long ago on another wrestling channel. And the first thing that came to my mind in terms of trying to bring back that era was Showdown Legends of Wrestling was the first game that came to my mind. And just thinking like, OK, yeah, there's some parts of the game that are rough. Developers of those games, too. That's awesome. And that's the thing about it. It's like, yes, there are aspects of the game that are a little rough to round the edges, but you can kind of see like, okay, they have a lot of the wrestlers' likenesses. They had the commentary with Shivani and Keenan. They were using the and actual the, and venues, the, uh, and that's amazing. The uh, in-ring announcing of Gary Michael Schepetta from the NWA. Yes. So much tender love and care. Like, Bret Hart is the voice of, like, the uh, in-game, like, trainer and stuff like that. And the thing is, the thing with that game is that um, – Legends of Wrestling 1 and 2, they sold well, but they didn't review that great. And they put a new development team for Showdown. And Acclaim basically told those developers, we want you to just use the assets from the first two Legends of Wrestling games and just make, just slap it, slap together something because we know it's going to sell. And these guys were like, no, we're not going to do that. And they designed, they designed something completely from the ground up. Because if you look at Showdown Legends of Wrestling, it looks completely different from the first two. But the thing was, their budget got cut, and then, like, they were supposed to have a far longer period of time to develop that game. And uh, it just got to the point where Acclaim was like, whatever you got, we're going to release. And that that game could have been so much better. Because if you look at the roster of that game, that game arguably has the greatest roster of any wrestling game. 100% you know? does, yeah. But they just didn't have the time to finish it. And the thing is, it's so easy for somebody to go and be like, this game sucks. I hate this game. Blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, but you don't know the story. You know, so it's just like I'm happy that like you appreciate the fact that like so much they did so many things right 
you know, and it's just like, it's so hard to, and this is the thing too, all it takes, I want you guys to understand this, all it takes is like a developer to change like one or two variables in terms of gameplay that could change a game like entirely, you know, so it's just like in the case of like perfect example, NHL 94 and NHL 95, NHL 95 has better like animations and sexier player sprites, but the thing was, the gameplay was supposed to be, like, pretty much exactly like NHL 94. It was just supposed to be, like, a visual step up, and then it was going to have create a player and a full season mode. For a 95 game, that's pretty crazy. And they were totally fine with that. EA was totally fine with that. And then one of the producers was like, no, we have to make it play different. We have to make it faster. And when you talk to any, like, hardcore gamer, they're like, NHL 95 sucks, man. They messed with it because it's too fast, blah, blah, blah. And if you talk to the producers, they're like, we didn't want that. And what happened was the producer went in there and it was, like, gameplay speed, like, let's just say a 3.5. They're like, oh, let's make it a 3.9. Tiny little adjustment just to make it feel a little bit different, you know? And all it took was that little one variable change, and now you have, like the greatest hockey game of all time and one of the most polarizing hockey games of all time. So it's just like video game development is so fine tuned. It's ridiculous. It's insane. So I don't know if you have like any inside scoop. Why did WWE 2K20 flop so bad? Oof. (laughs) The face. (laughs) It's not not necessarily like an inside scoop. It's just, this is the thing. You have, at the time, you had a developer that had actively said that they wanted to produce different wrestling games. They flat out said it. You know, you said, listen, we want to make other wrestling games. We don't want to just be tied into the WWE licensing. So, if your heart isn't in what you're doing, it's going to show. So it's just, like, perfect example. Like, a week ago, uh, the creator of Vector Man uh, messaged me. And he was like, I could tell your heart was in this book. You know? Like, thank you. And I was like, I love this stuff. And he goes, he goes, I could tell. And he's like, you could tell when somebody isn't in it, like, completely. And the thing is, like, that 2K20 looks great. It's got all the wrestlers in it. It's got all the music in it. It's got everything that you would expect. But it just doesn't. It's missing a soul, you know? And that's the thing, too. How many, like, I'll I'll give you, like, an example. An example of a game that, like, the average person would look at and go, what the fuck is this? And when I see this game, I think that it's just, like, one of the most amazing games I've ever played. So I'm not sure if you guys have ever played West of Loathing before. Um, And it's, it's basically a stick figure Western RPG. The entire game is in stick figure. It's one of the best written uh, RPGs I've ever played in my entire life. It's one of the. It has one of the deepest turn-based battle systems I've ever played. It's got great music, but the average person will look at it and go fucking stick figures. But the game has something that many games never have, and it's a soul. As soon as you start playing the game, you're you're brought in by like excellent writing, and you care about the characters. And you can have a game that looks like a million bucks, but if it doesn't have heart. And that's what I think happened with WWE 2K20. And the thing is, too, I'm not sure if you guys have tried to play, like, the only WWE game on Switch. Um, what was it, 18? Um, like, yeah, I think it was WWE 2K18, because I don't count Battlegrounds. Yeah, yeah, I don't count Battlegrounds either. Um, but you couldn't even play a singles. 
you couldn't even play a singles match. You know, and it was just, they were basically like, oh, you know what, we'll, we're just going to release it. And the thing is, I think 20 is a lot better than 18, but the thing is, like, you just, if a game doesn't have heart, it doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that the development team didn't work hard on it. Of course they did. But they, they expressed before the development cycle began, and during the development cycle, that the WWE game wasn't their highest priority because they were actively seeking to make new and different wrestling games. You know? So it's just like, that's not necessarily a good sign. That's like somebody that, somebody interviewing somebody on Capcom and going, you know, yeah, Street Fighter's great and all, but man, I wonder what it would be like to do a tech game. <laughs> you know, like, oh my god! Could you imagine? So I think that's... And then WWE 2K22, they were, they had a new development team, you know, coming, well, 2K did it from, like, the ground up, and those guys were invested the entire cycle, and I think that's why WWE 2K22 plays significantly better than 20, you know, because you've got a team that's living, breathing, eating, sleeping the game during the cycle. If you don't have that, you know, it's like, I run a comic book company, I own a comic book company now, and it's like, if I'm talking to, like, somebody on my team, and they don't refer to, like, their characters by first name, if they don't, like feel like that those characters are like living, breathing people, then then everything that they're writing, they don't even believe anything that they're writing, so why would I want to invest in them? You know, so the thing is just like the development team has to be the same way. Like if you're working on a WWE game, WWE has to be your life while you're working on it. Like I, Benjamin Johnson, he's one of my favorite people on Facebook. Um, I've interviewed him a bunch of times for my books and he was the creator of Rockstar Table Tennis, which is arguably, like, one of the best, like, cult games, like, Rockstar ever did, you know? Um, that guy, like, ate, sleep, and shed ping pong for, like, a year to make sure that that game played perfect, you know? So, like, again, to answer your question, that's what I think happened. I just think that development team, by that time, I mean, how much does wrestling really change in a year? It does. It changes. But, like, to justify, like, a brand new game every year, it's hard. And then you've got to add, like, that killer new feature and add something. It, I mean, imagine being on, like, that same team for five or six years. I mean, time must just, like, you would just lose track of time, you know? So I think it was, like, the best thing for 2K and you to just to just split and find, enough, find other people. So now you've got, like, that they're doing the AEW game, which looks really cool. And now the WWE franchise is back on track. And I can't wait for next year because this year this year was, was playable and it was fun. I, I like to see what they do with more time and things like that. So it's just hard. And that's the thing. A lot of people don't get how freaking hard it is. Like, the amount of people that work in the video game industry is more than ever before. But it's still significantly small. You know, there's only a set, there's only a small group of people that can do this for a living. You know, it's not for everyone. It's absolutely a lifestyle. Wow. I totally agree. Sorry, I'm talking too much. <laughs> no, you're good, man. You're good. Cause it's amazing you're to good. hear about. It's like you're the cool video game grip, and you just got us like, <laughs> like we're so invested. <laughs> like, like, you remind me of, of, you ever see Grandma's Boy? Remember how all the kids, all the kids that were at the wedding was just paying attention to the main character, and he's like just saying, "Okay, if you do this in the game, like he's giving everybody like." Yeah. I love that movie. I think so many people should on that movie. I absolutely adore that. Oh, that movie's that, amazing. And, like 
Code Monkeys and stuff like that. Oh, Code Monkeys show. Jose. I love that TV show. That was like Jose. the original G4. I know it's back now, and it's doing yeah. reasonably well, I would say, because mm-hmm. uh, it's been active for about a year and a half or so. But on the original run of G4, when it was an actual TV network, Code Monkeys was like so immediate good. viewing. Like, it was clever. It was smart. Yep. In terms of like portraying like video oh, game companies, it's on Peacock at, now. I watch it. I all did the see time. it was on Peacock. Like I, I don't did. mind fighting with my wife and like staying out on the couch for like an extra two hours because I'll watch like four episodes of Code Monkeys and then I'll come in the bedroom and, and be like, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm in such a good mood after watching like three or four episodes of Code Monkeys, you know? So yeah. But I know the game in Grandma's Boy was actually going to be developed and then just like something happened. There are so many games that get canceled along the way, and there, that, that's the thing. That's the reason why I appreciate like the stories behind the game so much. And there are so many games out there that people will like label as like awful. And I have I have people like all over the world that have like bought all of my books, and like it's pretty close to like being unanimous that like the Night Trap chapter in the first book that I wrote is like the best chapter that I've ever written. And like to so many people. Night Trap is, like, the worst game of all time. But it has, like, one of the craziest, craziest stories. And, like, whenever somebody reads that chapter, they're just like, damn. Like, one of my... One of my protege... Like, one of my mentors, um, Brett Weiss, he's another video game historian, um, he wrote the foreword to my first book. And uh, he was on a plane, and he's like, oh, I just started reading the book. And he's like, man, I read the Night Trap chapter, and holy shit. Like, dude, you nailed it. Like... And I was just like, really? And he's just like, yeah, man. He goes, if you could do that with a game like that, like, he goes, you killed it. And I'm like, thank you. But that's like, there's so many, there are so many games that, like, you would never think almost got canceled. Or so many games that you think, like, when you think about, like, their legacy, like, oh, they're such great games. And, and then you go, the people that designed them actually, like, didn't even, like, really care for them so much. So, really quick, fun story. You guys familiar with Def Jam Vendetta? Yes. I was just about to bring that yes. up. Like it was literally in my head. I was about to go grab yes. my copy right oh, now. Vic's, Vic's no, missing like out right now. PS, it's like the only wrestling game I own in my house outside of WCW NWO Revenge. So this is the thing. Are you ready for this story? Yep. Okay, so Def Jam Vendetta, I'm not sure if you know this, but Def Jam Vendetta was originally supposed to be a WCW game. Yeah, yeah. Um, because what had happened was uh, WWE broke away from uh, Aki and uh, they went with Ukes. So now Aki isn't making a wrestling game. So now Electronic Arts was making WCW games with Kodiak Interactive, and that was WCW Mayhem and WCW Backstage Assault. And Mayhem sold over a million copies on the Nintendo 64 and PlayStation, but it wasn't very good. And Backstage Assault was pretty bad. Um, So what happened was EA is like, yo, let's get Aki back in business, blah, blah, blah. So now, oh my god, WCW's best games were the ones with Aki. So now you're going to have another WCW Aki game on the PlayStation 2. OMG. There was a couple of magazines that had articles about it, and they showed all, like, the, the, you know, arenas and stuff like that. And then WCW goes out of business. And WWE is like, nope. Nope. You are not releasing a WCW game. So now EA already has a contract with Aki. So they're like, what are we going to do? So now these young producers are like, well, what if we use the Aki engine and we just attach, like, a sexy license to it? So that sexy license 
ended up being Def Jam. But what happened was they had to get agreement from all of the Def Jam artists to be in the game. So one of the producers, his job was to go to all of these rappers and ask them to be a part of the game. One story is that this producer <laughs> went to DMX's house, and DMX was like, okay, this is what we're going to do. You want me in your game? Just stand there, and I'm going to let my dogs out. And if you flinch, I'm not going to be in your game. And we're talking like Rottweilers. Oh, damn. And this producer is like, come on, man, for real. It was basically like Mr. Burns in The Simpsons, like release the hounds. Kind of right. Thing. <laughs> you know? So DMX is in the game, so you know what happened. The producer, the producer didn't flinch. So, so now, like, they're happy that they got Def Jam, but now Electronic Arts this entire time is just like, oh, my God, like, is this going to work? Are people even going to care? Da, 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 da. Because they don't know. They don't know, like, what they have in Def Jam. They don't know if, like, Aki is going to be able to develop on PlayStation 2 because they were a Nintendo 64 publisher at the time, and they had despised working on CD-based uh, consoles. So the thing is, a lot of people don't know this, um, Aki's first wrestling game is Virtual Pro Wrestling on the PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great game. And you guys probably know it in the United States as WCW vs. The World. It's a great game. Yeah. But what happened was, after that game came out, Aki is like, yeah, we're not working on the PlayStation. We hate it. We're not doing it. Um, so that's why they, they jumped over to the Nintendo 64. So now they're working on the PlayStation 2, GameCube, Xbox, all nine yards for Def Jam Vendetta. And EA is having an extremely hard time working with them because... EA is like, we're the publisher, we're in charge. And Aki is like, well, we're the developer, we're in charge. You've got EA, which is an American-Canadian company, and you've got Aki, which is a Japanese company. So now you've got the language barrier, and you've got the time difference. And Aki refused during the entire development cycle to ever admit that there was a bug in their game. So they would send, like, uh, builds of the game over to EA, and EA is like, well, the game's locking up, there's a bug, and there's like, we don't have bugs in our game. Like, we don't make any mistakes. And EA is just like, oh, my God. Like, they, it was just, like, unbearable for EA. And they had to basically send over one of their producers from the United States to Japan to, like, watch over them the entire time. And there was times when, like, Aki would lock him out of the building and would not let him in the building and things like that. It was, like, it was a horror show for EA. So, like, most of EA was not, like, they're not fans of the game. They're not, they don't, like, really particularly care about its legacy and the thing is like vendetta sold well but it didn't sell great it wasn't until the next game fight for new york was the was the one that really like delivered but it was like after two games that that's the reason why so many people are like how come def jam on the ps3 plays so different than the ones on the ps2 and the thing is like because ea owned the license to def jam so they could put any developer they wanted on it Mm. so after two after two games with aki they were like yeah we're done we're done. We don't want to work with you guys anymore. And that's the reason why Def Jam uh, 3 is Icon. so different. It's like a rhythm-based like, beat-em-up, and it's so, so... Yeah, Def Jam Icon. Know? Oh, my Def God. Jam. I was working at GameStops when, I, when Def Jam Icon was a thing. They were like, yo, yeah. you gotta... I want to buy this game. I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> go, we, I think we were still selling Xbox games at the time. I was like, go get that Fight for New York over there. Go get that Vendetta just, if we were still having it. Just be... Fight for New York is like a million dollars right now. Yeah, it is. Completely, it's a completely different team. And that's the thing. A lot of people will be like, oh, Def Jam was so good until 3. And it's just like, because it's a completely... It's a different game. It's it's Def Jam in name only. You know, but um, 
that's like, uh, I don't even know how we got to Def Jam, but like, that's... I, <laughs> I don't care. I needed to know that story. It's just a crazy I, story how we, we, we could have had the greatest WCW game of all time, but instead yep. we got like a really weird but awesome, I mean, I love those Def Jam, those first two Def Jam, Def Jam games are amazing. Amazing, so, yeah. It's crazy stuff. I needed to hear that story. As a hip-hop... As a, I'm a DJ. As a hip-hop guy, I needed to know that story. That story is going to be in the minds behind PlayStation 2 games, which is going to come out next year, probably like next fall. So. I'll be there. Uh, I'm I'll honestly... I'll be there for that one. Oh, you yes. have... The way you have sold me in our initial conversation, I want the whole... I'm going to get the whole collection. <laughs> See, and this is the thing, too. I want to just justify because so many people come to me and it happens all the time, especially with moms. I'll be at like a gaming convention and I'll have my table set up or I'll do a panel. This is what, how I prefer to work. I prefer to do a nice panel for like an hour or two and then after have like all of my books and be like after the panel, whoever wants to buy books can buy books and then I'm out. I don't want to sit at a table all day and stuff like that, you know. Um, and moms will go, how much is a book? And I'll go 40 bucks. And they go, oh my God, $40 for a book? And I'm just like, because the stuff that's in here is not on Wikipedia. It's not on Reddit. It's all original reporting. That's not found anywhere else. I can't tell you how many YouTube videos have, like, linked to me. You know, I've, like, blatantly stole stuff out of my books and stuff, which I don't care. Whatever. Whatever you got to do. But it's just, like, it's $40 because, like, for 18 months or whatever, however long I was writing these books, I, like, lived and breathed these games and these consoles and stuff like that. So it's just, like, and that's the reason why they're in Harvard, Yale, Stanford, and they're being used in video game design courses and video game industry courses, like, all over the world. It's because, like, there's value in, like, all of these stories. So if you care about video games, my whole thing is, like, you have no problem, like, I'm sorry, but you paid $40 for a Sonic game that you don't like. You could spend $40 on a book that you, I guarantee you will reread or you will give to your friend and you will dog ear it or you would go, oh, my God. Every chapter that you read of this book, you're going to go like this at one time or another. You're going to be like, damn, man, what the And that's the point, you know? So it's just like, you get what you paid for. You could spend $10 on a video game book in Barnes Noble, and you're going to get a $10 experience. You spend $40 on one of my books, and you order through me, I will sign it. I'll write something cool in there. I'll sneak in a goodie or something like that in there, and you'll get something like really cool. So that's kind of like, yeah. So I had, um, I had somebody, I was on a podcast a couple years ago, and the guy was like, oh, I want to buy your books, but it was the Minds Behind Sports Games. He goes, oh, but, you know, I'm not really a sports gaming fan. I love football, but I haven't really played any football games. And I'm like, yeah, I've played football. She's like, yeah, I've actually never played Madden before. And I was like, oh, my God. So, like, he ended up buying the sports book after the podcast. I ended up going to a retro game store and spending $10 just to get the original Madden. And I put it in his book. I was like, bro, you, you, you need to, you just, you need to. You know, so it's just like that's the type of relationship that I want to have. Like with my readers, you know, like I want them to understand how important, like protecting the history of video games is. Yeah, it wasn't even just the video games too, because like you even so like you sold me on the comments, and I'm all for like just supporting other people, you know, support those that support you. And you're awesome you. for that. Thank you. I appreciate you. Oh no, no, there's no problem at all. Actually, I'm ready for like the job part, you know, issue one. The job one is I I got um like four pages of inks today on the job one. And I'm so hyped for it. It's gonna come out this fall. I am okay. so so hyped for it. So oh. okay, that was a very, yeah, that was a very interesting that was a very interesting premise. Didn't get mine signed though, but <laughs> uh, all right. So it's gonna happen because you know what it is too. And um, 
So I'm not sure if you read the news earlier this week, um, what happened, but I am now the sole owner of Legacy Comics. Um, I did see somebody, uh... Yeah, um, I am now the sole owner, and, um, stuff like people not getting their comics signed when they should, that's not gonna happen. Okay. Um, we, we will cross paths at some point, or when you order the job one, I'll make sure that you get, like, an exclusive remark on there that, like, no one else has or something like that. Like, I will put something sexy on your cover and be like, I'm the only person that has this on their book. From, from the artist or from the writer, I'll make sure that that's, like, taken care of. That's what I like to hear. So how did Legacy awesome. Con... How did uh, Legacy Comics... We could talk video games all day. I was like, I got to try to cover as much as I can. Because I was excited. I, like, once we had that initial conversation, I was like, I got to have him on. Then, like, ten minutes later, Ed, we need to have you on. <laughs> but, um, yeah, how did Legacy Comics come about? So what happened was um, I had written Condry um, when I was, like, 18. And Condry is, it's basically like my love letter to noir. So it's kind of like the Count of Monte Cristo meets like Spawn, meets like Sin City, uh, meets Daredevil. It's like all of these things that like some 18 year old jerk that I was, was reading at the time. And it's basically the story of a homeless vigilante that is like slowly but surely picking off the members of the gang that were responsible for the death of his father. Um, so it's really gritty. It's really, like, urban, and I wrote it when I was 18. And then just, like, life happened. I could never find an artist. Um, and then I started going to college, and I started focusing on journalism, and I was covering professional baseball and professional hockey, and I was an editor at NBC, and then I started Review Fix, and then I started the Minds Behind the Game stuff. And But, like, it was like every, like, couple of years I would sit back and I would go, man, Condry, that was, like, the first thing that I wrote that I really, like, gave a shit about. And what happens is, like, with Review Fix, I get, like, an email, like, every day, at least one every day, with, like, an indie musician, an indie this, an indie that, and they're like, interview me, please, for your site. So on this day, Mark Burnell from Lesser Known Comics emails me and is like, I just started with a comic company, could you please interview me? I was like, sure. So I do the interview, and I get some, it gets good traffic, and uh, he goes to me, if there's ever anything I can do for you, let me know. So I'm like, yeah, no problem, don't worry about it. Because, like, I've been there. I've done it a thousand times, you know? And then I was like, you know what? I got something for you. So, like, probably, like, right before I met Mark, I met Kieran Quinn, who's the artist on Condry. He's the artist on The Job Zero. Um, and we put together, like, a six-page story with art that we were pitching to, like... Awesome again. You missed it. <laughs> He gave us the whole entire Def Jam story. Yeah, dude. Def Jam video games. All every, you need it, he's got it. Yeah. Coming coming soon. Um, I'll definitely play back that part of the episode. Oh <laughs> my god. You're gonna sit there oh, like COVID happened, so like they, they oh, there you go. Oh, uh, there you are. Yeah. So um yeah, you missed the whole Def Jam story, I'm sorry. Uh, sorry. <laughs> taking oh. a taking a pretty long poop in there. Um <laughs> so but uh so what happened was uh I had a six-page comic, like they call it in comic books an ash can. It's basically like a short comic, right. like a proof of concept kind of thing. So I had that ready to go. So when this guy was like, "Do you, uh, you know, is, is there any way, if there's ever anything that I could do for you?" I was like, "Nah, I'm good, I'm good." And then I'm just like, "Nah, I'm gonna show him the six-page ash can." So I show it to him, and probably like 20 minutes later, he's like, "We need to sign you." So they sign us, and they do. We do Condry zero, one, two, and three with them 
in like the first eight months. And then it's just like the longer that I worked with them, the longer I was just basically like, we could do business better than this. We can be smarter about this. We can distribute better than this. We can market better than this. And I sat down with uh, John Spadesi, the former co-owner of Legacy Comics, and we just drafted together a business plan. We were like, let's start our own comic book company and we'll do it like this. And um, we had no followers on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, nothing. Um, so I ended up leaving. I made sure all of my work for Lesser Known Comics, and that was the name of the comic book company that produced Zero, uh, Conjury Zero to Conjury Three. Um, I made sure everything that I, I was contractually obligated to and everything that I promised to, to do, I did. And um, that finished like on Halloween uh, of last year. So November 2nd, um, I called up Mark from Lesser Known and I, I gave my resignation. And the next day I did a live on Facebook and I announced Legacy. And the day after that we went to Kickstarter and we were funded in less than three hours with no social media following Ooh. at all. And um, that's because of the minds behind the games. That's because of like my voice acting. That's because of my journalism stuff. Like people knew that um, that I was going to take this super seriously, you know. And we got funded in like three and a half hours, and uh, we ended up 300% funded. And uh, our second batch of books are coming out in probably like three weeks. Okay. And uh, we're already working on our full books now. Um, we're working super hard. We're like five people with two people in uh, South Carolina that are doing this amazing American manga called Godfo. Um, and it's basically like the, the premise of Godfo is like, imagine if like God is uh, a, an AI creation and like these people follow this like AI creation and they call it God. And then you have this whole bunch of other people that don't follow this God and they're considered Godfo, you know? So it's just like, it's very Star Wars. Like, you know, you have your evil empire and your, your rebellion and stuff like that. So we have Dan um, Evans and, Joshua Adams um, that uh, work on that out of South Carolina and then we've got four uh, my, including myself four Brooklyn boys you know all, all working um, on really sexy like noir adventures so it's just like you, you guys mentioned Streets of Rage before um, the legend of the night owl is like if somebody makes like the warriors and Streets of Rage and put it in common um, it's really like in your face like ass-kicking, it's like an ass-kicking, like, kung fu story come to life, um, and I, I told you guys about Condry, um, and then the job, you mentioned the job before, um, if you love professional wrestling, yeah, and you love films like Point Break, and Ocean's Eleven, and Heat, you'll love the job, because it's about a jobber, professional wrestler, his name is Dan Nero, and his wife, and Dan's a jobber, he loses every match. But he's got great gear. And his wife is hot. And it's like, how? How does that happen? And when you ask Dan, Dan, how can you take this so seriously? Like, you lose every match. How can you afford to, like, have, like, this beautiful wife? And he's got a great car that he shows up to, like, the to the arena with. Like, how? And he's like, I rob banks. And they go, what? No, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> but he does. And his wife, who's his valet, is also his getaway driver. And during the day, they rob banks, and at night, they They're wrestle. <laughs> and the thing is, Dan is gangster. Dan does not play games. When Dan robs a bank, he loves wrestling. He loves the history of wrestling. He wears a different lucha mask every time. 
So they never they never know who this guy is. Like they never see his face. He's got a different lucha mask on every time. They're in and out. It's like they know the design of the bank before they even go in. It's just like they're in and out. And um, it's going to be a lot of fun because what's happening now is like Dan in the job zero. Dan is just like, man, I need my shot. I need my shot. And then in the job one, he gets that first glimpse of opportunity. So now you start to see like he's going to have to make a decision. Keep robbing banks. Keep robbing banks. Oh, I'm getting good at this wrestling thing. And he's going to have to make a decision at some point. And um, him and his wife just want the American dream. He's a super of like a shitty little apartment building in Brooklyn, and they don't want to live like that the rest of their lives. But wrestling isn't going to pay the bills, and they can't rob banks their entire life. So like something is going to have to change. So um, those are like pretty much our our books. And then also too, we got super lucky during the Kickstarter. Um, we got contacted by the family of Bram Stoker. So I'm not sure if you guys know who Bram Stoker is, but he wrote Dracula. Dracula. So okay, Dracula. Yeah. Dracula is celebrating its 125th anniversary this year. Um, and his family was like, listen, um, we want you guys to do a Dracula comic, and we're going to give you, like, Bram Stoker's notes so you guys can do, like, a prequel to Dracula. So that's what we ended up doing. Um, we got somebody that was directly connected with the Dracula franchise, like, that was a Dracula historian and stuff, and he wrote um, a six-page story, and then I edit it, and I, like I told you guys, I've been a college professor for 16 years. I, I, I teach journalism. I'm the head of uh, the journalism program at Kingsborough Community College in Brooklyn, New York, but I've also taught literature for 16 years, so it's just like I knew my, I knew my Dracula. So we took that six-page story. We added two more pages to it to, like, liven it up, spice it, spice it up a little bit more, and uh, we turned out a really sexy Dracula book. So, um, we've got noir we've got wrestling we've got like inner city gang warfare like we've got like pretty much everything that like you'd want in a comic book company um it's been a lot of fun to do this and like our best days are totally ahead of our ourselves like we've got so much cool stuff coming so between like the voiceover the video game books and the comic book company this is like the most creative i've been in like my entire life and like i'm not slowing down like anytime soon and I can't wait. It is kind of getting late, and obviously, I know us. We can talk. We can talk this far. We could be here all day if we wanted to. Oh, absolutely. But responsibility calls. But, oh, my God. Ed, Patrick, thank you. Um, well, tell, tell us where you can find. Tell the good people where we can find you. Go for it, Pat. I'll let you start. Sure. Um, you guys can go on Instagram. I'm at Patrick Hickey Jr. P-A-T-R-I-C-K-H-I-C-K-E-Y-J-R. One word on Instagram, on Facebook. The Minds Behind the Games is on Facebook. Just write in the name of the series, The Minds Behind the Games. It comes right up. Legacy Comics is Legacy underscore Comics, C-O-M-I-X, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, the whole nine yards. You can go to Legacy Comics with an X dot com. We've got an awesome store. We've got merch. We've got leather jackets. We've got book bags we've got mugs we've got comics we've got like something for everyone head there now check out our stuff um yeah check out wrestlequest go to megacatstudios.com um go to uh go to retro ninja.com and check out bpm boy that's another game that i do voiceover on there's so many like just, just google my name and plenty of stuff comes up there you go that's how you know you just, you're the shit you can just say just, just google me <laughs> if you google my name you'll see this like right to the right. So just, I mean, he's not wrong like, at all. Like, right. I, like that's how I was able to kind of like you know get some re like do a little bit of research before coming on here uh, for us to do the interview. And I was just like, let me look up Patrick Hickey Jr. I was like, man, he's everywhere. Like, just boom, boom, boom. Oh yeah, he's 
the whole first page, his face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's just how it works. I did. Ed, what about you? As always, uh, for me, you can find me at your boy Ed Games uh, on Instagram. Boy, yeah. <laughs> Love it. Uh, you can also find my all the stuff that I do gaming wise at Gamerdelphia on Instagram, and anything that I do with my crew is at the party, the party nerds with a Z. Uh, you will see all the content that we do up throughout the summer. You'll see my friend Darnell's coverage of San Diego Comic Con on there, and then of course as we get to the fall, you'll see me covering New York Comic Con as well as PAX Unplugged. All right, and as of course, uh, once again, we got to thank our sponsors, Silk City Hot Sauce. Just go to SilkCityHotSauce.com, use the promo code CODEX to get 15% off your order. And then also uh, InfamousCustoms.com for all your CODEX apparel, the DJ Mr. Bird, Victor Vader, CODEX itself. Just go to InfamousCustoms.com and she'll customize you. And then um, also you can um, actually, big, big announcement. Codex 300, we finally have a date, September 17th at the Cornerstone Complex in in uh, Pawtucket, Rhode Island. So come through. It's going to be a special live episode. We're live and in person. It's the first time you'll actually be able to touch us physically. <laughs> but yeah, that's what it, that's the date set, and uh, it's going to be more to, more announcements to come. But you can also um. Thank you for watching us on Facebook Live. You can catch it on Instagram. Catch us on Instagram, on Twitter. Uh, you find our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, everywhere. Just Google us. <laughs> We're there. So, uh, like I said, fellas. Thank you guys once again. Like this was a blast. Uh, when mine behind the PlayStation games come out, we're having you guys back on. Oh yeah, I'm totally down to talk PlayStation games. That was my like, 100 yes. percent console. Like the Genesis was my was my birth into gaming. That next step was the PlayStation. So yeah, that's same, gonna be fun game. to talk about. Absolutely. Like that's that's the console. I feel like I became like an active consumer, and uh, it's a super important book for me too because like it was written like entirely during COVID. And um, there were so many people, a lot of writers that I knew that were just like, they they couldn't write anymore. There was too much stuff going on. And for me, I just like went hardcore into like, and I found so many developers that wanted to speak. And it's just like, it's a testament to like, so many people weren't writing. And I just, I wrote probably the best thing, one of the best things I've ever written at a time when like so many people were just giving up on their dreams. So like that book is like super, super important to me. Like I told you, I was writing and researching that book as my wife was like getting ready to give birth to my son. So it's like super, super important. I am definitely getting that book. Like I said, I'm getting the whole series because like I said, you're, you're not going to get like these stories from anywhere else. Yeah, you're not, you're not. And then even like when the stories are mentioned somewhere else, I go more in depth, you know, so it's just like if you read the first book, like E.T. is in it and everyone's like E.T. is the worst game of all time. And that's like where the story ends. And like I explain all of the things that like led to E.T.'s demise um, in that. And then like then in like the minds behind the shooter games, I have other developers talk about like that they were designing their game down the hallway from Howard Scott Warshaw when he was developing E.T. And they were like, oh, my God, like we were talking to each other about our games. We were hanging out in, like, the lunchroom, the bullshitting and stuff, and they're like, Howard was literally locked in a dark room 
for like a month designing that game. So it's just like it's great. Like if you buy all of the books, like sometimes like a chapter that was discussed in the first book gets like re like rediscovered later on in another book, and it's just like so so much fun. It's like I told you guys before, the spider web of video game history. It's so deep, it's so intense, it's so much fun. Yeah, yeah. Make sure, yeah. Trust me. Make sure you guys cop that. But that's it. We that's it for the night, fellas. It was a pleasure, and uh, I'm just gonna take. <laughs> I took off with Big's job this week, but yeah, we will catch y'all on the flip. Peace out, nerds. Later. Peace out, everybody. <laughs> All right.